1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. So if you would grab your Bible, and if you do not have a Bible, we'd love to serve you with one. So if someone back there can grab a couple of those spare Bibles. Would you, anyone need a Bible this morning? Maybe you forgot yours. Okay, someone right down here needs a Bible. I think they're on that table right back there. Great, thank you, Bello. Thanks for serving. Anybody else would like a Bible? Let me encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Open that thing up and let's thumb through the Bible. Or some of you have it digitally. Fire up your digital Bibles. How many digital Bibles do we have here? Raise it, raise it up if you've got a digital Bible. Wow. The technologically savvy among us. It's very nice. Just make sure, wives, that they're not playing video games, okay? No, no video Pac-Man, Bible Man, or anything games, okay? Just. All right, great. Are we ready? 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's my joy to read to you these words beginning with verse 1 through verse 8. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let's pray. Lord, it is my joy to fulfill your command. As a man, I stand, lifting holy hands made holy by your Son, without quarreling that I'm aware of. There are no conflicts in my life that are not being resolved or worked through by your grace. And I pray this morning that we would experience the godly living the peace that comes through Christ alone. Oh God, speak to us now through your word and may we listen with faith to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. From the 12 apostles of Christ, the group grew to 120 by Ascension Day A little over a week later, on the day of Pentecost, that group grew to 3,000. By the time the last of the 12 apostles died, there were an estimated half million followers of Jesus Christ. That was the end of the first century. 
By the end of the second century, this number had increased to almost 10 million believers of Jesus Christ. By the end of the third century, all heathen temples were destroyed or converted into church sanctuaries. By the close of the ninth century, there were 100 million Christians. Today, the number has grown to well over many hundred millions of believers. No one really knows. Here is the point. None of this growth would have been possible had Christians not been excited and prayed to the Lord of the harvest. God is at work. God has been working down through the ages in mighty ways. And he's working today. And he calls us to simply discern where he is working, where he is working in our world, and then begin to partner with him in prayer for that work. This is God's message to us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. Here in this passage, God calls us to pray for all kinds of people. He asked us to pray that they would be converted into his disciples. And looking at your notes, here is the theme, the burden, God's burden for you and me this morning. Partner with God in prayer for the progress of the gospel. Partner with God in prayer for the progress of the gospel. It's been progressing from 12 to 120 to 3,000 to millions. And it's going to keep progressing. And God says, partner with me. Partner with me in prayer for the progress of the gospel. It's an endeavor that will continue to grow until the day Jesus returns. The question is, will we partner with him in prayer? That's what our text is talking to us about. Well, in order to do this, in order to partner with God in prayer, we must first understand that God is working all around us. This is an exciting part of this message for me. We must understand that God is working in people's lives all around us. People in our world, people whose lives may not initially show evidence of God working. My daughter described to me someone who came to the car wash yesterday. And when she described that individual, she said to me, Dad, when they came walking up, I was intimidated. They looked successful, together, very sort of worldly wise, beautiful. I was very intimidated. But you know what? When I began to speak with this individual, God used the scriptures to absolutely speak to this person and bring conviction. And I was amazed. God's working in your world even in the people you think, oh, not them. Yes, them. 
And in order to obey this passage, we must become aware of God working. That's God's burden for us in this text. He wants us to lift our eyes from our little world. Or even if we lift them up to like our little world, let's say this represents my little world. The piano, the drums. And I could just become familiar with my little world and God is here. And God suddenly wants to say, Al, lift up your eyes to my world. And I'm working in the life of each one of these people in my world. And then partner with me. Partner with me. That's why the title of this message is Pray With Your Eyes Open. Pray realizing that your next-door neighbor is someone God's working on. Pray realizing that the customer that walks in your door, God's working on. Pray for the guy that just cut you off in traffic because God's working on him. I had a great opportunity this weekend after praying for an opportunity to witness. (laughs) Imagine that, I prayed. Um, I had an opportunity to preach the gospel to a bunch of young men who would normally be on the streets of Miami but are now involved in a basketball league that's entitled Slam. Okay? Slam. And it's a league that was developed eight years ago to bring young men off the streets to play basketball. And they agree when they sign up for the league that they have to listen to a gospel presentation for 30 minutes every Saturday they play. I'm looking into that league for my son who's 13. They're looking for pastors to share that 30-minute gospel presentation every weekend. I didn't know God was already working that way. I just found out about SLAM recently. They came together. So yesterday, I got to go to Miami-Dade College North and hang out in their, their gym with people I normally don't hang out with. First of all, I got to watch a semi-pro basketball game between uh, Hardaway, Tim Hardaway's team and Glenn Rice's team. And it was like, wow. It was like I was courtside to an NBA game. I mean, Marcos, these guys could ball, okay? We were talking some large men playing very good basketball. And I'm like standing right there. So that was cool. Because I love basketball. But then the other smaller kids were playing in the courts next to it. And I got a chance to interact with someone who I think is going to be a key person. A real leader. He and I spent much time together. And just to share the gospel. And it was different for me. (laughs) I'm not used to running with that crowd. That crowd comes with, I mean, it was just the, there was a Nike representative there. And there was all the guys with, I mean, they were just, I mean, it was like right out of the movies, man. The hats turned this way, all the, all the gold and the chains and the, the, the teeth all lit up and the, you know. And uh, I mean, a couple of them spoke to each other, and I know it was English, but I understood like every sixth word. Wow. This is great. I mean, I needed you, Marcos, as my translator. I'm going to resist right now, bro, because I know the CDs that you have in your visor right up above there, okay? So. Okay, so here's my question to you. Is God working in those people? 
Is he really? Do you think he's working in those people? If you saw those people just on the street playing ball, would you think he's working in them? Honestly, I don't normally, that's not my first thought when I see them. Should be, but it's not. But it's got to be for us, my friends. It's got to be. It's got to be. Let me, let me read the first eight verses again. Grab your Bible. Just look at it again. Let's, let's let it freshly speak to us in this context. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. All people. By the way, I believe that translation is probably more accurately all kinds of people. No time to go into why I believe that. There is ample evidence linguistically. But you could translate that all kinds of people. Do you pray for all kinds of people or just certain kinds of people? Well, you will pray for all kinds of people if you recognize that God is working in all kinds of people. That's the point of this message. You've got to pray with your eyes open. Verse 2, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet, excuse me, peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. This is good. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people, and I be, again, I believe that can be translated all kinds of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, for the men that he's called in that gymnasium yesterday. which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. First point in your notes, we've got to partner with God in his work. We must. What is his work? Listed there for you in the notes, the gospel is God at work in the world. The gospel is God at work in the world. When we focus on verses 4 to 6, we come away with this truth that the gospel is God at work in the world. Look at verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here we see that God desires that all kinds of people be saved. Come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one mediator. There's one mediator between God and men, and that's the man. Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony born at the proper time. You see, that first point in your notes there, under partnering with God, the gospel is God at work. And God desires all kinds of people to be saved 
and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This term, knowledge of the truth, that you find in verse 4, it's a technical term that describes conversion. Now, do, do do you live with the awareness that God desires for all kinds of people to be converted? Does that thought really play a role in how you view people? Or do you just view them as their outward or their behavior would dictate. You must view people the way God views them. And God desires all kinds of people to be saved. And therefore, God commands us to pray for all kinds of people. All kinds of people. That's what it says in verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all kinds of people. Why? Because it's a religious duty? No. Because God really does desire for all kinds of people to be saved. Do you? Do I? That's what motivates our prayer. Another thing that motivates our prayer, sub-point B under point one, is that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Look at verse 5. It's exactly what it says. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. God is at work reconciling all kinds of people to himself through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful picture of why diversity in the church honors God. Stay with me. You've got the one God. You've got the many people that the one God wants to reconcile to himself. Again, translating all as all kinds of people. So, There should be a mosaic of all kinds of people in this church. Why? Because it's politically correct? No. Because God says, I desire all kinds of people to be saved. That's what heaven's going to look like. That's what heaven's going to look like. See, everyone needs to be reconciled to God. Why does it say there's one God and one mediator between God and man here? Because scripture is clear that all of us are at odds with God. All of us have a quarrel with God. Everybody, white, black, good basketball player, bad basketball player, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. All kinds of people. Everybody has a quarrel with God. Everybody needs a mediator. Because you and I need to be saved Who do we need to be saved from? God. Because God has a quarrel with you. Because you are not honoring him. That's what the Bible says. So there's one mediator, one God, Jesus the one mediator, and then many people that are being reconciled to God. That's why we're to pray with our eyes open. We can and we should pray in faith because Jesus Christ is the one mediator. 
So I'm not trying to generate it on my own. I pray because he is the one mediator. And then look at subpoint C. Partnering with God in the gospel. What does that mean? Well, right out of verse 6. Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony born at the right time. You see, to mediate, oh, may this be fresh in your mind. If it is not fresh in your mind, you won't pray. Think about the quarrel you had with God. Think about Jesus coming as a ransom. What does that mean? What does ransom mean? Well, here's what it means. You and I were in bondage to sin which was destroying us. Greatest picture I can give you of that is of the book of Hosea who married a prostitute because God commanded him to. And then she prostituted herself with her false lovers to the point where she was in such debt that she was being sold as a slave at a slave market, naked, in chains, and ashamed. God told Hosea to go to the slave market and buy his wife back who had been unfaithful to him over years. And he did. And God says, that's my ransom of you. But, include this, because every picture is going to be limited to describe the greatness of what Jesus did. Included in the ransom was that you also were under God's judgment and wrath. You ever had a ticket? Remember how that felt? Ever had a lawsuit? Ever been in jail? Ever been judged by a court guilty or perhaps guilty? And have you ever felt what it was like to be set free, ransomed, so that the wrath, the penalty, the fine you were going to have to pay, the points on your insurance that were going to raise your rates by 50%, and they're, they're already too darn high here in Miami anyways, was wiped off your record. And you go free. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. So therefore, because of that, because God sent His Son as the one mediator who gave Himself as a ransom, verse 6, for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time, for that reason we pray. Now, listen carefully. If you're here this morning, dear friend, I don't know everyone here. There are a few faces I've never seen before. Some faces I don't remember because I'm getting older. I don't know everybody here. Here's the deal, my friend. If you haven't experienced this ransom of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you right now, today, is the right moment for you. That's what it says in verse 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. 
which is the testimony given at the proper time. Today's the proper time. And I beg you to respond to this ransom and bow your knee to the Savior this morning, right now. And dear Christian, if you have experienced that ransom, oh, I pray that you think about it again. Because I fear that so many of us forget it all too quickly. Could you forget if you were naked and in chains at a slave market and someone came and bought you back and clothed you and gave you your honor back? Would you ever be able to forget that? I wouldn't. Well, that's nothing compared to what the Savior has done for you. So don't forget it. And remember, He wants to do that for others. So pray with your eyes open. Partner with God in the progress of the gospel. Remember how He set you free. Pray that He would set others free. I believe that's God's burden in this text. What do we pray for? That's a great question. Point two, pray for all kinds of people to lead peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lives. Let's read verse two. This is what it says there. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What does that mean? By the way, are you aware of what kind of lives Christians led in the first century? Were they peaceful? Quiet? Well, in case you're not aware of the fact, they weren't. Christians were routinely grabbed out of their homes, their homes confiscated, and then many of them were incarcerated or killed. And as they moved into the second century, it got even worse. Christians would be grabbed the father perhaps would be thrown into the Colosseum to be ripped apart by lions. Whole families would have, would have been tormented and torched, tortured. In fact, one of the uh, Neros, one of the Caesars, would, would grab Christians, impale them on spears, plant the spears, line his driveway with the spears, wrap them in tar and light them on fire as torches for his driveway. Doesn't sound like a peaceful life to me, (laughs) does it to you? Okay, so this has got to mean something more than just leave me alone, don't hassle me, I want to have a nice big house, lots of money and cars and no one's bothering me. It's got to be more than that. Doesn't it? Okay, so what is it? Well, leading a peaceful and quiet life. Listen carefully. Sub point A, under point two. We're to pray for the kind of life that is, first of all, at peace with God. See, if you're a Christian, you're going to have problems in this world. Okay? In a sense, that's the bad news. But, oh, the good news is far better. You've got peace with God. You cannot have them both. Dear friend, if you make peace with the world and have the world become your friend, the Bible says God is your enemy. 
You don't want God as your enemy. You really don't. Because only God can control the eternal destiny of your soul. Only God. The world can kill your body. God determines where your soul goes forever and ever. So make peace with God. That's what it's talking about here. That's the peaceful. It really is also a sense of praying that one's personal life would calm down long enough to consider the gospel. The second word, quiet. Really, uh, the quietness that is spoken of here isn't the lack of conflict with the hostile world. It is an inner quietness that provides a setting for godliness. Too many people live lives that are so busy, particularly in South Florida, so loud with activity, desires, stuff, that the voice of the gospel is drowned out by the loudness of their lives. I'm not talking external. We live in a loud city. I'm talking internal. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have, I have some friends that live close by who every time I email them say, I, wanna, I, want, I want to really know more about God. I want to follow God. And then I get four paragraphs of their crazy life. I just don't have time. Okay. So what do I do? I pray with my eyes open. I realize that God is working in them. But what do I pray for? Lord, give them peaceful, quiet lives. Not a lack of conflict outwardly with the word world when one is a Christian, but an inner quietness in the midst of much activity so I can hear God. I pray that for you guys. Some of you have incredible responsibilities. I can't imagine what it's like to be a homeschooling mom of four small children. I'm convinced that women who successfully do that can run a small nation. And probably some of them a large nation. And a small nation. And sell Mary Kay on the side. So it would be crazy for me to pray for you to have a quiet, <laughs> peaceful life. Outwardly. But how about inwardly? I think it's possible. Because if not, what happens? The voice of God is drowned out. Does that, is that making sense? Okay. Next thing we pray for. Very clearly there in verse 2, there's four things. That they may lead a peaceful and quiet life. You see that at the end of verse 2? Somebody tell me, yes, I see that out. All right. Everybody's awake. Good. The last two is godly. And I'm, trying, I'm doing that for a reason. Open your Bible and look at it. I want you to look at it. Because it's the Bible that has authority, not me. Okay. Notice, let's see those last two? Godly and dignified in every way. What does that mean? What does godly and dignified mean? Well, again... These are technical terms describing conversion. That's what these are. They're technical terms describing conversion. Godliness is really the fruit 
of Christ Jesus and his saving work in the life of a person. It is marked by a fear of God. As a matter of fact, if you want to circle the word godly on your notes, and you can just write off there to the right, fear God. That's what that means. Pray that the fear of God would come upon other people, yourself, that, that suddenly you wouldn't fear the world, you wouldn't fear death, you wouldn't fear what other people think of you, you wouldn't fear the stock market going up or down, right? We've all had to deal with that this week. You wouldn't fear um, the war. You wouldn't fe- for, fear God. Fear God. Pray that you would fear God. Pray that others would fear God. Pray with your eyes open because God is working in people to cause them to fear Him. He is. And then what does dignified mean? Well, it's, it's a further fruit. A dignified life is just another way of saying someone who lives a life that honors Jesus Christ. It's an inner disposition of one who is serious about God. A dignified life is a life that's well thought through. I'm going to take what Scripture says. I'm going to work as hard as I can by God's grace to apply this to my life. That's what a dignified life means. It's not a stuffy life. That's why we can laugh at Jeff having back in black <laughs> ACDC song as his ringer. That's not, it's not talking about not having fun, but it's talking about thinking through what you do in your business, with your children, if you're single, you're the relationships in your life, the music you, you do listen to, the, the TV shows you would spend hours listening to, watching the movies that you might see how you spend the money God has given you. That's what it means. Do you fear God versus the world? Do you take seriously his commandments? Pray for that. Pray for that. Now, why do we pray for that? Here it is. Look at verse 3. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. It's good, man. Living a life of partnering with God for the progress of the gospel is good. It's adventuresome. It's waking up in the morning and seeing the workers across the street from my house that are working on this, this home that was just sold and wondering wonder what God's doing in their lives. Not what Alpino's going to do. It's not the pressure of me going out there and saving them. But it's the adventure of saying, I wonder what God's doing over there. And then praying for them. And then watching when my wife comes in and says, Hey Al, the guys across the street, they're all out there if you want to go chat with them. Yeah, all right. So, so it's an adventure. Who knows? I'm in the line at the post office in Hialeah with the one guy that's working and doesn't really want to be working and the 500 people that are in line that don't want to be in line and letting him know they didn't want to be in line. And everybody's... And then I just stop in the middle of that. And I'm in a hurry, right? But I stop and I go, okay, I know what Alpino wants to do. What's God doing here? Is God, does God work in a post office line in Hialeah on a Tuesday afternoon at four in the afternoon. Is God working? 
Or is he, he's just left that to, to the devil, you know? <laughs> Only the devil can work in here right now. <laughs> no. God's working. How are you working, God? Let me pray. Oh, look. The person right in front of me. They seem really worried. They don't look real happy. Oh, look. It's a letter to the IRS. No, no. <laughs> Certified. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Fine. My name's Al. Yeah. Let's just, let's just chat. And as we're walking through the line, I'm praying with my eyes open. Because God's working. I'm not trying to pigeonhole them. I'm not trying to you know, make their life miserable. I'm not trying to come on to them like a salesman. But I have something that God's given me. It's called the gospel. And I want to pray. They may already be Christian, and I may just be there to encourage them. Fear God. Don't worry about that. Fear God. Okay? I believe that is pleasing to God. I know it is. That's what verse 3 says. This is good. It's pleasing to God. And then finally, look at verse 8. Oh, this is a good one. Men, this is addressed to us very clearly. Ladies, next week I will be sharing the part that's addressed to you. Seriously. At this point, he does go to men and women, not just generically, but specifically to men. And this is what he says to us men. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling. This is what I think that's saying. God wants men to pray publicly. And he wants you to do it as men who are walking in the good of the gospel so that there are not unresolved conflicts in your life. You might want to just jot down next to that in your notes, 1 Peter 3. It's a corollary, not a coalary, a corollary. And it says to men, live with your wives in an understanding manner so that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay? So guys, you're to, you're to apply the gospel in your lives so that you can be released to pray publicly. Why? Because it pleases God when you do that. Why? Because God's already working in the world. How? Because he sent his son, the one mediator, to mediate the conflict between God and man. How did Jesus do that? Because he gave his life as a ransom for you and me and all kinds of people. And we're to partner with him in the progress of the gospel as we pray. The period between the Old and New Testaments was about 400 years. This period is called by many names the silent period because there wasn't much God was saying. In fact, he wasn't saying anything. It's also called the interbiblical period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. During this long interlude of 400 years, God was really silent. But God was still working. 
just as much, just as meticulously as he worked before and as he worked after. See, the divine purpose of God in the gospel never ceased. In that inter-biblical period, Greece rose to glory and to power. And the Greek language became the language of all culture throughout the civilized world. In that period, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek. This is called the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. In that interbiblical period, the Jews were scattered throughout the world, called the diaspora. And the synagogue was raised up throughout the world where the law was preached. In the synagogue, the prophets as well were read. And in that interbiblical period, Rome cemented the civilized world with roads and laws and government. God never ceased working, though there's nothing in the Bible about any of that which occurred in the interbiblical period. And yet, God's faithful working in those 400 years proved crucial, for it was the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, a very precise language. And it was over those Roman roads and waterways that were built that men and women traveled to preach the gospel. And it was in those synagogues where there was already a testimony of Jesus Christ in the law and in the prophets that the gospel first went, and God used that to save men and women. And then the Gentiles came in, and God's gospel progressed. And God's gospel is progressing today. And God is working today, though sometimes silently in the people around you. Your job, my job, is to figure out, discern, how are you working, Lord? And then to partner with him. He calls us to that partnership so that we might pray for the progress of the gospel. I just want you to look at these application questions. I want you to talk about this this week. I want you to ask yourself, if the gospel is God at work, then how is God working in your world? How is he working in my world? Ask yourself. How is he working in my family? If you're part of this church, in my home group, in my workplace, in my neighborhood. And I want you to write it down and be as specific as possible. It will encourage you in an otherwise discouraging world. Number two, how is God working? How is God calling you to partner then with Him in prayer for the progress of the gospel? In other words, who and what is God calling you to pray for? Are you active in this or are you passive? Number three, develop a list of people for whom you will pray on a regular basis. Include in that list the following family, friends, co workers, neighbors local, state, national, and international leaders. And number four, how can you participate in public prayer on a regular basis? Perhaps at your, in your home, family devotions, in your home group, in a church-wide prayer meeting. Now, I'm going to end this message a little bit differently. I'm going to end it with an opportunity for you to engage in public prayer. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to gather together in just a moment after 
I pray, you're going to gather together in groups of five, four or five, and I would like you to pray. And I'd like to suggest a few things to pray for, if I might. I'd like you to pray for our president, because the Bible says for kings and all those in authority. I'd like you to pray for President Bush. I believe today he's in Colombia. Is that, is that true? Anybody else read the news here? Okay. He's in Colombia. And I think tomorrow he goes to Guatemala, and after that he goes to Mexico. There would be lots of people that would like to do him harm. So pray for him. Pray for him. I, I, th- I, I think he's a believer. So it's a double blessing to pray for a man that does know the Lord. Paul was telling them to pray for for leaders that were actually persecuting Christians, killing them. Paul says, pray for your leaders. I would like you to also pray for the leadership of um, Sovereign Grace. And in particular, if you could just remember our dear friend Danny Jones and then Brent Detweiler. Brent Detweiler. And um, in the midst of your prayer, there, there is a gentleman who is suffering tremendously in one of our churches in West Virginia. His name is Brad. Brad, he had a terrible accident that affected his spinal cord, affected his legs. He is in critical, critical condition. We've been getting updates regularly about Brad. So if you just pray for Brad and West Virginia Church, his wife is named Jo Lynn. So if you've got a good memory, remember Jo Lynn, Brad, West Virginia, Sovereign Grace. And then finally, if you would just pray for our Alpha course. Um, You may have seen one of these if you were in home group on Wednesday night. If not, we can get some to you. It's an invitation to the Alpha course. And pray that God would use this because you know what? God desires all kinds of people to be saved. And the only way they're going to be saved is that they hear the gospel. And the only way they're going to hear it is if we speak it. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to pray publicly.